Oscar Parker. from some um, reports, box office stories. Uh, this has been a historic weekend for Breaking Dawn, which made uh, quite a lot of money. Uh, I'll leave you to uh, render the, the specifics, but can you, you, you were just saying a second ago that you don't think it's that historic. Perhaps you could give us the rundown on what you... What? Well, yeah, it's not. I mean, it, it's huge. Look, it's a, it's a very big number, $139.5 million you know, domestically. In a weekend is a big deal, um, but in terms of where this stands in in relation to the rest of the franchise, it's not a new record. Uh, it didn't even beat um, the previous opening weekend weekend record was 142.8, and that was New Moon. So that wasn't even the last movie that came out. That was the the second one. Right. Um, so it's got 283 and a half million worldwide, which is again you know very healthy. Um, but yeah, this has a limited appeal. It's not going to do Harry Potter. It's not going to do Transformers because guys don't show up for this. It's you know, <laughs> not being sexist or anything like that. They just don't show up. Um, the thing that surprised me the most, this, this statistic that really popped out today, is that 60% of the audience is over 21. So that means that you know, girls that started watching this when they were younger, they grew up and they didn't grow out of it grow out of it, which to me is kind of mystifying. I would think, you know, eventually you get tired of this stuff, but they're not, so. Well, I can understand that. If you, uh, if it was near and dear to your soul and to your heart when you were 16, you can't quite, you don't want to re reject it. Uh, you have to kind of see it through to the end. I mean, it's something you're invested in before and you want to, uh, you can't let it go until it's over. And they've got, obviously, there's, this is the second to last one and the final one will come out when will it come out next year it's next year yeah they, oh, you they mean all the way into the fall of 2012 yeah they stayed away from the summer and that was a controversial decision but it was really smart on their part because next summer is possibly going to be one of the biggest summers ever um it's avengers dark knight spider-man uh, men in black three it's it's just going to be ridiculous. so uh -huh. yeah they're they're really smart to do that yeah i gotta say um um in a tactical way that Compared to the levels of sound that I'm, the sound levels I'm getting from uh, Sasha, you sound soft, Phil. Yeah, you... I agree. You sound a little low. Is there any way you can increase the volume there? Uh, let me see. Um, Not inaudible, but soft. Is that better? Yeah. That's better. That's better. You just mm, said okay. yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Do we need Sorry, to do it so, again? So, Is it that bad so, that we have to go again? Or? 
No, no, I don't think so. Okay. You were saying before, and I think it, it, it'll come out. It's just that uh, you know you want the sound to be nice and bright. But uh, how would you? What was? What has been the biggest one? That new moon, or the first one, or what? How does it stack up? Um, in terms of worldwide, I'm pretty sure the last one was the biggest. Um, you know, just in, in terms of the end. You know, it's it's full gross. Um, yeah, but it, it probably was close with new moon. I don't have the full figures in front of me but or be specific the last one was called for those eclipse. Were, yeah huh? sorry sorry yeah i'm uh, i'm not speaking to twihards here so yeah e- eclipse, eclipse was um, right. probably the biggest <laughs> um so what about emma is she into this um you know she was in elementary school she she was like fifth grade she was a started being a twilight person and um of course i had to go see all those horrible horrible movies <laughs> with her and so when this one came you know she's outgrown it now and she re- recognizes that i'm so sorry to have to say this i hope no twilight fans are listening um uh but she knows what a badly written story it is and how what a pea brain stephanie myers is meyer is and so she recognizes all that but still there's a part of her that feels nostalgic for for the story i mean in a way i sort of felt nostalgic for them too like i sort of feel like i know them i don't know why but you just do you just connect with people that you kind of watch grow up and so Kristen Stewart and um, what's his name, Robert Pattinson and, and uh, Jacob <laughs> were like, like you know, they feel like you're people, they're people that you know. And so I took her to see it in the screening and we both decided that it wasn't the worst one. It was probably the best one. The first one, really? Yeah, the you first one and the last one are probably the best one. The two middle ones are unwatchable, in my opinion. Oh. But Okay. And yeah, unfor- this one to me was brutal. So I'm oh no, it was. <laughs> what did you really not like about it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's the just wedding. The, uh, it's so heavy-handed. Yeah, I mean, there, there's not an ounce of subtlety in these things. It's, <laughs> brutal. It's but you know, I, yeah, I saw it with. Um, I, I went Friday night with some friends, and uh, you know, just to get the experience of it. And you know, if you're going to see a movie like this, and, and you're forced to see it, seeing it with the enthusiastic fans is a way to go because they're you know. They're screaming, and then Jacob takes off his shirt, and they go nuts. And I know, go, you know, and all the romantic moments. So, <laughs> it's so you know, I, I fed off of that and enjoyed that, but otherwise, it's brutal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Emma and I figured out that you could tell the whole story in about five sentences. You know, like, um, I won't hurt you, Bella. Please make love to me, Edward. <laughs> I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to kill you, Bella. I can't do it. You know, please make love to me. <laughs> The morning after the wedding night, the bed and sheets and everything are in tatters, meaning that uh, Edward is not a man with a slow hand. He's a very uh, <laughs> a furious lover. And, and Prison it, sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was... I, I kind of su- surprised by that. I thought the idea of sexuality as... Girls in their mid-teens uh, dream about it is uh, something warm and close and tender and, you know, just really safe and really sweet and really beautiful. But the best Not- line in it is when she says, you know, <laughs> having sex with a vampire is like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Do you know well, when she says that line about, you know... Um, vampire sex is like the best sex there ever could possibly be. You're going, uh-huh. But the thing uh, is, is when she shows up with, the, after all that violence, and then she shows up with like two tiny bruises on her arm, I'm thinking, honey, <laughs> I've seen worse bruises. Than 
kidding. Well, nobody points out the elephant in the room about this, and this is one of the first things I said when I walked out to the screen showing to my friends. I said, okay, he's a vampire. He doesn't have blood pumping through his veins. Um, oh. Where, where does mm. the, uh, you know, the uh, the action come from there? Interesting. <laughs> you Interesting. Know, nobody, nobody seems to bring that up. I do. I brought that up repeatedly. There can be the, a sexual excitation because he has no warm blood in his sense. He can't have... <sighs> Can't conceive. He can't have erections. Nothing. You know. Huh. Yeah. So he pulls huh. a he pulled but, but, boys don't cry maybe or something. I don't know. No, yeah. you know it's um. like a, like a, some kind of a crazy you know green blooded erection. It's like whatever that is that <laughs> pulses through her to bring her back to life and make her her pupils green. You know that's like you know pumping through him. The thing is, is other thing to consider not to get totally gross. Is she's a virgin, right? Um, yeah. So virgins bleed and they're. There's no. Is there a scene where there's blood? I can't remember. But if there's all that torn up stuff, wouldn't there also be blood somewhere? And yeah, there would be. And if he's a vampire, wouldn't he have? Wouldn't the blood have been sort of a problem for him? Yep. All that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at it, I mean, you just decided, once yeah. you decided to go into marriage, children, actually doing it, it just became um, the, the strength of it was that this supernatural being, who's beautiful loves you, and will protect you. That's what I responded to in the first film. Yeah. Well, can I just say finally one last thing about the sex thing is your first time is never, if you're a virgin, it hurts like hell. Yeah. So for her to like be like, oh, it was the most wonderful night of my life is very insincere. Yeah. You know, and that's Stephanie Meyer's problem. This None of this is uh, Bill Condon's problem, I don't think. It's mostly uh, Meyer's terrible writing. Um so you would say, as a prose stylist, she is at best uh, she is um, what f- functional, but she has no music in her. Right. Writing. Great way to say it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you want to jump to Descendants then? Please, yes. So that yeah. was, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Let's uh, talk about a good movie, you know. And, uh, but that was only about did. what uh, very few theaters, right? And in New York, LA context, or am I wrong about that? Did it, Broad. Yeah, 29 locations only, and it did 1.2 million, um, which is excellent. Um, it's l- less than what we were thinking. I thought that the you know the rush of you know enthusiastic reviews pretty much across the board would turn this into much more of an uh, immediate must see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it still is. I mean, it's still a great weekend. Not not quite as good as we pictured though. Yeah. Um, but this one's going to be huge. I you know it's mm-hmm. it's a great chunk of counter programming to to ne- what's happening next weekend, which is, you know, The Muppets, Arthur, Christmas, and Hugo. Mm. It's, a, it's a good movie for adults that they can go see after, you know, taking their kids to see whatever. Um, right. So, I, I mean, I stick by it that I think this could be, you know, Alexander Payne's most successful movie and, you know, definitely, um, you know, it can, it, it can do, you know, we're looking at like 80, 90 million, I think, here. Mm-hmm. If it really hits the way it should. Right. Because um, it just delivers. There, there's no way for both sides, for male and female moviegoers. It, you, you can't deny it, the brand yeah. in this movie. So. And I can't imagine it won't be huge on Thanksgiving weekend because, you know, the adult people that I know, they never go see movies in the theater unless it's holiday time. And, like, on Thanksgiving and Christmas is the only time they actually walk out of their house, pay money to go see a movie that they like, that they don't have to take their kids to. Mm-hmm. So it's like teenagers and kids are that's obviously why movies are the way they are, the ones that go to pay to see movies. But adults, like right around now, I can imagine um, Thanksgiving break, everybody's been asking me, what movie should I see? And I always say The Descendants, because I know they're all going to like it, you know, Um, because it hits so well across the board. 
kids would like it. Adults, women, men, you know, everything. Just like Phil's saying. Yeah. You're saying that Emma's going to like this? Descendants? Yeah. yeah. She would love it because of the two girls. Yeah. Two daughters. Well, I would imagine, but, you know, I, I, there, there's this intense fickleness on the part of girls your daughter's age, and they just... If they don't like it, they don't like it. That's it. You know, but I'm glad to hear that you think that she and her friends will probably respond to it. That's yeah. I mean I would think so. The way to really have gotten her audience would have been to cast a cute young guy in the in the Sid part. I mean he's cute and everything, but if they had cast like Logan Lerman or someone like that, you know, uh-huh. um, that would have guaranteed her crowd for sure. Mm-hmm. They really yeah, do go in for the cute young guy like that. Um yeah. else, but if you put him in front of it, they're still gonna like it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so it is quite a uh, big, um, uh, I mean, honestly, uh, I've never, I don't think, I don't know, I'll, I'll predict solidly, I'm not going to see Arthur Christmas. Um, oh, it's good. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was really good and very funny and um, kind of weird, sick, dry humor all the way through it. Like there's like a dog that humps people's legs and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, uh, right. You know, it's it's kind of funny and weird and creepy and um, interesting. I liked it. Plus, it's directed by a woman. So okay. it's the other animated movie that's directed by a woman this year. I think there's one more. Um, uh, Happy Feet 2, maybe? Okay. Yeah. Well, there's also The Muppets, which I, I know that it's hip to like The Muppets. And uh, to the extent that people wanted them to uh, be put up as possible uh, Oscar hosts when before uh, uh, Billy Crystal was chosen. Um, and, uh, the writing is, but do you agree with that, Sasha? No, <laughs> no, I was going to kill myself if that happened. No, I wouldn't kill myself, <laughs> but I would, I was definitely not happy with the way that whole argument turned out. It was weird though, because the people that were supporting the Muppets uh-huh. got the hugest amount of followers, like instantly. Okay. And that's when I realized what a force to be reckoned with they were and how, you know, Jeff, we're, we're of an age now where people have grown up like since in the time that I've been online and you've been online. So it's like all of that prophecy about the in, infantilization of, of our population yeah. is coming true. It's coming to fruition. People are staying children forever. Right. You know, they're not <clears throat> ever becoming adults. It's like they, it's okay for them to still be branded. And I can't put it all on the Muppets. That's so unfair. But I just thought, you know, the Oscars? No, no. The Oscars is is adult entertainment. (laughs) It's not for kids. Was there anything on the indie scale? I mean, you'd have to call, uh, obviously, Descendants a limited opening. Was there anything of a limited uh, independent realm opening this weekend, Phil, that that caught your eye? No, I mean, that was a big thing. Uh, Take Shelter's doing okay. Um, That's at 1.4 million. And that's been out for eight weeks, so that's kind of just knocking around. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. The, the one thing, you know, if, we're, if we want to stay on the indie uh, beat, um, you know, the thing that's worth mentioning is that Artist opens next week. Whoa. Um, and I finally caught that. And I'm still, I'm still kind of throwing my hands in the air in terms of what this can do. I mean, I didn't fall in love with it like everybody else did. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, that's what I did. I enjoyed it and said this is something that a film lover really wants to see just because it's very enjoyable to watch. So I agree with you on that. But I think ultimately, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I said on last week's that if you have a spectrum of grosses and you have Herd Locker on one end and, you know, like King's Speech on the other, it's going to end up closer to the, the Herd Locker side. I, I stand by that, but um, just mainly because I think 
when it comes down to it, people aren't going to like the, you know, two or three sentence summary about what's it about, what is this right. about when they hear it. It's going to be, well, it's a really great movie about, you know, the blah, blah, blah. Oh, and it's silent, by the way. And then yeah. you're going to lose a lot of people that way. And honestly, I think the running time might hurt it a little bit. And I don't think anybody has, has brought this up really, but I think it runs, it's like an hour and 40 minutes about. Um, and something like this, if you want to get, if you want to hold the attention of kind of your average moviegoer with a, a silent movie, I think it would need to be a little bit shorter. It would have to be like 80 minutes. And then I think you'd be looking at something different here. But yeah, I just don't see it becoming like a 60, 70 million dollar, you know, hit based well, on... Well, you said before, price. Phil, that you um, anticipated that perhaps it might even be as low as a Hurt Locker uh, opening. You think differently now, having seen it? Well, no, I said, I mean... I said on the spectrum it'll be closer to Heart Locker. I don't think necessarily it'll be that low. I don't think it will because um, it, it's just going to, It's. I mean, it's all but guaranteed to get a best picture spot, right? You guys agree with that. So yeah. the fact that it's going to have that kind of buzz and it's being released right now will help push it a bit further, you know, than, than where Heart Locker was able to get. Because Heart Locker, you know, wasn't able to really benefit from its Oscar buzz because it was already out of theaters by that point. Right. Um, they tried to re-release it and everything like that but it, it didn't fly I mean the, the momentum was gone so with something like this the release date is going to help it but I don't know I just don't see it playing that well uh, you know in terms of average moviegoers that you know go to see four or five movies a year in theaters I just don't see right. it so oh, well see those are the people I think will go see it like I was trying to convince my this friend of mine to come see it with me at the Academy. They're having this big to do at the Academy with, with the filmmakers. And, you know, I mean, to pass up a show at the Academy theater is crazy because it's the most perfect theater you can see a movie in. Yeah. And um, the sound is perfect. The seats are so comfortable. The screen is really wide, you know, it's beautiful. And so I, I try really hard to make it whenever I get invited and I couldn't get this guy to go with me because I told him it was a silent film, even though I said it's, it's a, it's a friend made by French people. It's really, really good. I, I gave it my best sell <laughs> and it was still like, no, I don't want to see a silent movie. And that's so, for free. He's going for and free. At you know the I mean? Academy so, theater, you know? Yeah. So imagine trying to get, you know, telling people the same thing and then also saying, yeah, and it's going to cost you, you know, 40 bucks for you and your wife to yeah. go see it. I mean, know? the adults that I know, the parents of Emma's friends and stuff, I know they're all going to go see it. I know, I know their type. I know them because I've talked to them through Oscar season every year for the last 13 years. And I know that, you know, they're going to be, I really want to go see the artist. And then they'll corner me at a party and they'll say, I saw that movie, the artist, it was really good, you know? It's definitely for a certain type of upper middle class, uh, left leaning, you know, artsy fartsy NPR listening type of person. That's the yeah, those that, are the people that are going to buy tickets. Oh, I agree, but you know that doesn't get you the, the big money. You know what I mean? No. That doesn't get you to seventy, eighty million. That gets you to right. you know maybe like thirty something like that. Right. You know? You're right. You're um, right. I, mean, I thought if you get that crowd that Sasha described, I thought that that doesn't even add up to thirty. That's like a 15 or 20 at best crowd, isn't it? No, I mean, if they come out and really support something, I mean, that's the same crowd that really came out to, to go to see Midnight in Paris, you know, and they came out in droves right. and that hit like yeah. 50 million. Yeah. It's going like to be that exact crowd, except yeah. without um, the Rachel McAdams fans and the. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you need the, you know, you know John Q moviegoer to, to buy into it, which they did with, you know, King's Speech or even, you know, Black Swan was a, a prime example of a movie that, that had people less... thought. <laughs> You know, wasn't going to be commercial. It had lesbian know. sex, though. It had now. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you totally can definitely different. make that argument. Yeah, the, you know, the guys were, guys heard that, and 
oh like, oh, okay. Yeah. Artsy, but big you know, time, big time. Girls kissing, yeah. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. You know, I'd like to be, I'd like to be wrong about it. I, you know, I'd like to eat crow a little bit because it's a movie that I'd, I'd be really happy to report, you know, broke boundaries and, and really, you know, opened people's minds about, you know, what a, what a movie-going experience can be like in, in yeah. you know, 2011. But listen, um, but be honest, Phil. If you, if you were sitting down with your friends, honestly, give me an honest answer, and they said, because I, I know when, when a really good friend asks me what movie they should see, I give them an honest answer. I never try to bullshit them with, but so what would you say to your friends um, and they said, you know, hey, what, what's playing, you know, what's opening this week? I mean, would you say go see the artist? It's really good. Oh, no. My official endorsement of, you know, the season is The Descendants. I mean, I'm yeah. already preparing it in my head because I'm, you know, going to family events for Thanksgiving and everything. And I'm thinking because I know I'm going to get the inevitable, you know, what movie should I see? What movie should I see? What's good out now? And. There's no question in my mind that Descendants is going to be the first thing off my tongue. Right. Plus, um, you know, if you yeah. recommend someone to go see that, they're going to get a lot out of it. Even if they don't totally love it, they're going to be moved by it. They're going to laugh. You know, they're going to find something to relate to in their own lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's true. And that's ultimately why I think, you know, I know, Sasha, you said that it's you had your article about artists being the inevitable best picture winner. And I don't know. I just see it falling short because eventually it'll it'll come down to the fact that yeah, it's a, it's a great movie, but um, at the end it's kind of just a, a quirky thing. It's kind of a I don't want to belittle it or anything by calling it a novelty because it's a great movie, but it does have that kind of value to it that it's yeah. quirky and it's you know. And I think that'll it'll lose steam because of that. And then you'll have Descendants and Warhorse, which you know if Warhorse shows as it shows up to be a kind of emotional powerhouse, then those two movies will go. You know, butt heads, but yeah, but Warhorse. I'm not the Oscar blogger. I'm the I'm yeah. the box office guy. <laughs> Warhorse has, unfortunately, has the family film stigma on it. So does yeah. Hugo, and so does um, what's the other one? There's one Harry Potter. I mean, they're they're when they're family films, they don't have the sexy thing. And the you know what's the sexy pick this year? I don't know. I, I I'm I'm not feeling that I feel a really strong Best Picture winner yet. I just don't feel it at all. I feel like it's the Descendants, the artists, maybe Moneyball. Moneyball needs a lot more buzz and talk. You know, I'm the only one talking about Moneyball, and nobody else is. I am. Not really. I look at Hollywood elsewhere. There's nothing about Moneyball. Oh well, I I, I just haven't got anything to write about. But you know, what do you want me to do? But that's what I mean. There's that, <laughs> and so the the buzz is dying for Moneyball. It's dying. And if if people don't start talking about it, if it doesn't hit top ten lists, it's dead. It's done. <sighs> So. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, that's just because it came out, you know, early. You they know? need to do uh, some sort of another event of some sort, and uh, right, they have to kind of uh, just I, inject a little energy and and, no, and well, people huh? need to recognize which I'm going to do when I write my next column is is Moneyball is still the most successful film of the year right now. It's got the highest reviews and the best box office of any of the Oscar contenders that have opened because The Descendants is just opening now. Yeah, it didn't get as good a reviews as. Moneyball because two critics panned it. Um, um, Dana, yeah, from Slate, yeah, from Slate, and Stephanie Zakarek from Movie Line gave it such a low scores that it brought its score way down. And so Moneyball's still higher. No, it's only wait on Rotten Tomatoes. It's ninety. I don't count Rotten Tomatoes because it's like everybody. It's basically like a poll. You know, it's a, it's, it's not a critics thing. It's not. You know, these aren't the people that necessarily... They vote on the broadcast film critics, some of them. I think that Metacritic is a very good uh, reading of the smartest critics, but I don't... Uh, but uh, I, I, I trust uh, Rotten Tomatoes more because it does I have... Know. 
a bunch of other people that aren't necessarily uh, the film dweebs, uh, the the high scholar. Uh, yeah, it gives you general impressions, but it doesn't give you snooty critic rating. You know, snooty critic rating is what I have to look at because box office tells me more about how popular a film is, you know. Well, it's um, at 84 on uh, Metacritic, right? Yeah, it's like 84, and then Moneyball's like 80, 87. And yeah. then Harry Potter, I think, is 88. Those are the three top. I mean, usually by this time of the year, we have much higher scores. We have films in the 90s, like right. Hurt Locker was like 94. Social Network was up there in the 90s. We don't have a movie like that yet this year. I'm thinking Hugo's going to be that movie. That's my prediction. And Hugo is one I wanted to talk to you about, Phil, with box office. Like, Yeah, I wanted to bring it up, too. Yeah, so, yeah, um, so go ahead. But if, yeah. What's going to happen? Are we going to get the... Um, the feeling, uh, just before Phil speaks, is that it's uh, it's not really a family film. It's it's kind of uh, it certainly is for the first half or so, but it's very long, and it's 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 very uh, lavish and beautiful from a visual standpoint. But it really isn't a kids film in the in the in the last analysis. No, so. it's not. I mean, well, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Sorry, no, no, you go. Well, I was just going to say that because I haven't seen it yet. So I was going to say that it's a kid movie in that. Um, you bring your ki- if you're a smart parent, you bring your kids to see it, and it'll it'll really kind of, I think, invigorate them and change their mind about things. But it's not a kid movie in that it's designed to entertain kids. It's not. It's much smarter than that, you know. Anyway, go ahead. But you don't yeah. think they're being chased around the station by Sasha Baron Cohen and all the beautiful grill works and ironworks and just the atmosphere thing? Kids are not into that stuff. Um, my daughter will be, but she's 13. She's not, um, she's not a little kid. Uh, my, if I took my seven year old niece to see it, I think she'd be, well, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, you know, I don't want to say, the more I say it, the worse I'm going to sound, the more of a snob I'm going to sound. But I really do feel like the smarter the kid is, the more, um, likely they are to, to really engage with Hugo. If they're readers, if they have an imagination, they're really going to get into it. If they've been raised on, um, these kind of movies that are so disposable, you know, sequels, and they give you exactly what you want every time, and, you know, you, you just sit back, and it's it's like Wally. You're basically in a chair with the thing stuck to your mouth, and you're, you're being soothed constantly and entertained. But Hugo asks you to do more than that. You know, it asks you to pay attention and to use your brain and to, you know, invest in a story that takes a while to tell itself, you know. And that's not what kids are used to. That's not how they've been conditioned, so to them, it's we're going to be way too slow moving, I think. But it's you know, just... there, you know, it took a long while to tell its story, but uh, is uh, members uh, Scent of a Woman, the 1993 yeah. film that filled in, that was just paced in that way. And so there was something about the way that film was put together. If you if you just settled into that uh, that that pacing that that Martin Brest gave to it. You would, um, you, you know, you find yourself kind of not fighting it after a while because it just has a longish way of, of telling its story. Uh, this, uh, Hugo, I, I have to say, did not feel that way. It felt drawn out. It felt like they could have cut to the chase a lot sooner than they did. And I felt that, uh, as Phil says with the artist, it would God. have been better if it had been 85 minutes or 80 oh, or I something. Don't, I, don't I feel that if they had kept Hugo to, to 90 as opposed to what it is, which is no. what, something close to 115, right? One. I so disagree. I don't give a shit, man. I don't want to. I'm, I'm sorry. I sound like my mother, my crazy mother. I don't yeah. get I don't want to pander to the lowest common denominator and entertain them, get them in, get oh. them out. So it makes a lot of money at the box office. No, oh, he made a movie. Fish. He made a movie that's going to last decades. I mean, this is all, a movie people are... Of, uh, 
But look, it's it's an animated film, uh, Sasha, and the general rule is it's not it's, animated. It's three D live action. Well, the, all the Paris shots have a kind of an there's a there's a aura of of kind of otherworldly wonder going on in the entire thing. Yeah. It doesn't have it has a kind of a storybook quality. It's not a uh, it's not naturalism. It's it's uh, you know it's 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 kind of visual exceptionalism. It's it's oh. it's three D. It's this kind of storybook Paris. It's it's you know it's it's not naturalism. So it's it's a movie that is a great film. I mean it. Uh, God bless, you know, Martin Scorsese for still investing in what we used to call great films. I mean, God, there aren't any more. There aren't these movies anymore. They're a movie that makes me look at my watch. Sort of grouped. I don't care. Jeff, that's your problem. That's not the movie's problem. That's your attention deficit problem. This is a, you know, everything's been focus grouped and tested to death. And it's like we get one kind of movie all the time that appeals to one kind of thing and one kind of person. You know, here's a guy like Christopher Nolan who did this with Dark Knight and did it with Inception. He's stepping outside the box. He's making what he considers to be a masterpiece, a great movie, you know? And it's, yeah, okay, so sometimes they failed. Clint Eastwood failed maybe with J. Edgar. He tried to do the same thing. But Martin Scorsese didn't, you know, and, and Orson Welles didn't when he made Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane wasn't a movie you could sit and be down in front of and they were going to go, wow, it's a great movie. They were going to, you know, have problems with it as they do now when they sit down and watch it. And they say, I don't get it. What's so great about it? You know, so what? So, so Martin Scorsese is digging a little bit deeper and he's doing something that takes a little bit longer. You know, I don't see why he should be punished for that. God, if he had shortened it and made it into one of those kind of movies, it would be so disposable. You know, I don't know because honestly, Sasha, I'm not trying to be um, uh, I'm not trying to, to diss the film because I respect and understand the, the passion that you feel. And I'm just saying that he could have uh, sculpted the story up until that leads up to the, the, the wonderful final 25% or 20% um, mm. in, a, in a tighter way. And that's okay. not to... Scent of a Woman is great because it takes its time. And that last scene where he says, you're building a rat, you know, you're building a rat ship here. And when, yeah. when, when um, he finally explodes... Yeah, that in front would... of... Yeah, not have good. worked if they had cut the movie down. You needed the time to get to know both of those characters. And I love it that the award season rescued that movie because the public certainly didn't. It didn't do well at the box office. And it, it, I remember it didn't do that well with critics. And I remember it being a big surprise that it got a Glo- Golden Globe nomination. And then a big surprise that it got a best... Did it get a best picture? I can't remember. Yeah, it did. But he, he won um, Best Actor. But that movie, I loved it because it did take its time. And that's the reason I love Hugo is because that last part works because we spend all that time with Hugo when he's crying at the end. Well, it does not work because um, um, there, it makes no sense to me that a filmmaker who has put his heart, his soul, his blood, everything into making these uh, fanciful little short films that Melee's did when he was a in his prime in the uh, uh, that he would want people to not know anything. He would say, I don't want to talk about it. Leave me alone. I didn't do that. It was, I failed or the world uh, stopped listening or stopped wanting to see my stuff. So I don't want anybody to see my stuff and I don't want to be acknowledged. And in fact, I'm going to scowl at you if you bring up anything that I did. And don't mention this. And I'm going to tell my wife also, who starred in, in these films, don't talk to anybody. I don't want anybody to know. That's ridiculous. It reminds me of the advent of video because, you know, people didn't think that digital filmmaking was going to go anywhere. Yeah. And when I got into Columbia Film School, I had a video camera and I thought, this is going nowhere. I'm going to drop out because I was making films on video. I thought, nobody's ever going to do that. And then here comes YouTube. You know, things change. Things evolve in unexpected ways. 
And I think at that time it was believable to me that he did, they didn't know where it was going to go. It seemed like it was a throwaway thing. Well, look at what cinema became. And then he was rediscovered. I can understand uh, Georges Méliès being heartbroken that in order to survive, he had to sell a lot of his films and they were melted down to uh, be used for some other purpose. Forget what it was. But that would break my heart and make me weep with, with regret and, and sadness. And that I completely understand. But... But no one would be bitter about the fact that people want to talk or want to know or that no one would try to suppress their wholehearted, passionate efforts to make film. That's just complete. Maybe bullshit. not today, but maybe back then they did. You don't know. You can't know unless you were back then during that time. There's a uh, universal um, uh, longing to be heard and to be uh, listened to that all artists need. That's why they become artists. They want people to listen. They have something to say. Right. Okay. And, well, you know. who knows more about film than Martin Scorsese? Oh, that's that I'm not going to buy that either. He's not some god. You know, he's a very he's not brilliant a god, but he knows more about film than any filmmaker working in Hollywood. He knows more about film than anybody who saw, who sat down and watched Hugo. I can tell you that. So he knows, and he's, I trust him. He's quite the 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 scholar. He's quite the uh, the educator. He's one of the greatest people. He's perhaps the uh, the noblest man in 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 our realm for what he invests in and the time that he's put into uh, explaining the virtues of this filmmaker and that filmmaker and, and investing in restoration. He's, he's a magnificent fellow, but he is not a god who knows more than... I than, didn't say he's a god, but he's a, he's a, he's a meticulous, um, obsessive-compulsive when it comes to details, and he's not going to just throw something in there like any of these other directors would do without knowing what he's talking about. He researched this. This is a true story. You know, this is well documented and researched. You could, should ask him. You should do an interview with him and ask him what he thought, why he did that. And you'll get an answer. I can tell you yes. that. He knows everything, every dumb little detail that most people don't think about. When you study his movies, if you've seen Raging Bulls many times as I have, the yeah. weird little details he throws in, I mean, most people wouldn't even pay any attention to that. And it's just thrown in because he happens to know it. And he makes it his job to know those things. And yeah. he's interested in them. And I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't know how many people were as delighted as, as I was with his opening of Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. They, they knew that he was making it seem like an older film, but the way he made those rich kind of uh, sunsets as red, uh, red, as blood red as the, as the one in Gone with the Wind. I mean, he's a magnificent filmmaker, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I just, uh, but he also made Kundun, and I, 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 I'm not going to forget that for the rest of my life. That was a pure suffering experience for me. Have you, I mean, uh, there was others. Uh, what was the other that, that was very, very difficult for me? Um, maybe that's it. I don't know. I can't, nothing's coming to mind right away. I mean, there's, uh, I liked, actually, did you, how did you feel about the, what's known as the Cufflinks movie, um, Age of Innocence? How I love it. I love Age of Innocence. Okay. Well, I thought it had a wonderful ending, and therefore it was, you know, the lament in Daniel Day Lewis is uh, about how his lost love is gone forever and all that. That was that was one of the more moving things I've ever uh, uh, seen yeah. from Scorsese. So that was uh, actually, I'm not most of his stuff is good, but he's capable of, 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 of you know, miscalculation and, and making the wrong move. And, and I would say, uh, uh, maybe we said this at the party, that a person has to be willing to uh, fail. You have to stick your neck out there, and if it fails, it fails, but you have to be willing to do that. And if you're cautious and guarded and, and you want to make sure that you make a hit every time, then you become Steven Spielberg. Right. 
So don't make him do that. And the thing is, is um, Martin Scorsese movies, you really have to see them more than once. I tell you this. I've always told people that. The more you see them, the more... I, I watched The Departed the other day. I've probably seen it 50 times, and I've noticed something new. Um, you know, I just watched that again also. You know why? Because I just bought the Blu-ray, because I wanted to oh. see it on Blu-ray on, the, on, this, on my 50-incher. And boy, that is... Fucking Got great whole movie. juice all over again. It was wonderful. It's such know? a great movie. And Age of Innocence is one that, that unfurls each time you watch it. Uh, little tiny things that he does that you can't catch the first time through. And um, that's why he's, you know, the professor. <laughs> that's why he's... Uh, I mean, he his movies are incredible. Raging Bull is an incredible... A taxi driver, king of comedy, um, all d- the departed, even Shutter Island... Um, these are just magnificent. That was a problem for me. See, that movie was a problem. Well, it might have been, but it did have its moments. It had its moments for sure. Um, that was atmosphere, 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 rain, shadows, thunder, waves splashing up against the... You know, that yeah. was that was just a... You know, that's what they call a pure cinema movie. I was saying, beware yeah. if someone says a movie is pure cinema. Right. Because it means they... <clears throat> Integrated but, the other elements that you need to propel a, st- a story along. So yeah, and and when Hugo first the trailer first dropped, everybody said, "Oh, this isn't a Scorsese movie," and they meant it's not a gangster movie. It's not. And and the thing what they don't realize is that look at all the d- different types of genres he's tried to make. He's tried to make a uh, horror movie. He tried to make now he's he's made this 3D movie. He's actually delved into 3D. Martin Scorsese and to to magnificent results, I think. And um, Age of Innocence, you know, was like this weird period epic. I mean, he's made, he's tried different things. He's tried to step out of his comfort zone. And that's, you know, that's completely to his credit. And it's, it would be a, uh, he would be a mediocre man if he made nothing but uh, crime Goomba movies. Can you imagine? <laughs> I know his career would be over. Yeah. Over. And the thing is, is this is how you can imagine getting into a situation like George, George Melee's or whatever. It's like, if Scorsese only made those kind of movies and he somehow fell from grace and like Ridley Scott, someone like that, who just, or Spielberg even in some ways to just start believing their own publicity. And then he falls out of favor with the public and then he's kind of drifted off. I I know what you're saying that he'd still show up at cocktail parties and talk about his successes. Maybe, or maybe not. Maybe he'd just disappear. No such thing as a filmmaker who has not wanted people to hear or listen to him or her, what they've done. Nobody in the history of, can't say that for sure. of the planet has ever wanted, was bitter about having endeavored to create art and something of lasting value that can be considered and, and penetrate people's hearts and souls. Oh. No way. What about J.D. Salinger? He's a, he's, he knew his stuff was out there. It was about his yeah, but you're now you're, chit-chat. He didn't want to talk about it. He'll, he'll write. And he didn't. He didn't talk so. about it. He disappeared. He But it didn't matter because people rediscovered him. But... You know, you don't know what he would have... But he knew and was... You're not going to ever convince me he didn't take great comfort in knowing that people were still reading Franny and Zooey and A Perfect Day for Banana Fish. I don't know. Fish. I'm not he, a mind reader. I'm not, if I was making a movie about J.D. Salinger, I couldn't show him as someone who showed up at a cocktail party happy that he made these movies. And that if someone came to his door and said, you want to talk to me about Catcher in the Rye, I can't imagine that he wouldn't shut the door in their face and not want to talk. Well, that, was, that was him. He said, listen, you know, it's, it's written. You know, you want to read it? You know, whatever happens, happens. What do you need me for? I'm not going to give you anything else. It's there on the page. You know, that's, he's just one of those people who feels that way about his art. You know, I'm not going to augment in any way by chit-chatting at a, at a, 
a writer seminar or a panel. You know, he just happens to feel yeah. that way. I, I respect that. All right. Okay. Well, we can continue this debate after Phil yeah. leaves, but Phil has to go. So do we have any more? But we want to talk about box office really fast with him. Can you have time for that still, Phil? Well, yeah, I, I'll okay. go over the, the Hugo stuff quick. Okay, cool. Um, and then, yeah, I'll head up. But, What's going to happen, um, Phil? Paramount's kind of dumping this. It, it's kind of not a good sign. that They're, they're only putting it out to 1,200 locations which is not an enthusiastic release at all right. when you consider that Arthur Christmas is going out to 3,300 and so is uh, the Muppets. So they're kind of, I think, picking up the vibe that, you know, this really, like you guys are saying, it's not necessarily a movie for young kids or, right. or for families or anything like that. And it's going to get, you know, eaten alive by the Muppets, Arthur Christmas, you know, Happy Feet 2 is a holdover. Right. Puss in Boots is still doing well. So it's... Can I Prospects ask something else, good. Phil? And Phil and Sasha, if this, if they wanted to bring in, it's certainly a, a colorful and, and richly composed enough film. So why, you know, again, from a sheerly crass commercial standpoint, a kid, a kid audience will go with something that's 90, 95 minutes, or a hundred minutes. But you know, two hours is asking a lot for for younger kids, right? For little little kids, yeah. You know, so you that's another thing. Least, They're limiting themselves. So. You got to be at least ten. Uh, ten to. I'm so glad that they're limit that they're limiting themselves. I'm so glad that he made this movie. I'm so appreciative of it, and I love it. And it's to me one of the best movies he's ever made. So, you know, I'm 100 percent behind him. And who's, maybe it doesn't matter what I think. Masterpiece, uh, Sasha. Somebody of uh, note said it's a, called it a masterpiece. Was it? Richard Corliss from Time yeah. Magazine. Yeah. Is this? Yeah. So. Okay. Well, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The same. You know, with Clint Eastwood, how he can, you know, he can take a, a dud like J. Edgar and just bounce off it. Same thing with Martin Scorsese. That's why he's making a movie like this at this time in his career, because people are going to still cut him checks because it's Martin Scorsese. And Paramount doesn't care if they lose money on this because they want to be in the Martin Scorsese business. So more power to him. He should make movies like this. And it's not a dud. Budget. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm holding off because I, it sounds like something I'm going to like and I want to really stay. Yeah. Know, focused on it in terms of okay can this actually make money so you know pre-departed i used to very good friends with a marketing guy who uh been around this town since the uh, 80s actually the 70s and uh he used to refer to martin scorsese as red ink he said except before this is pre-departed but um his films cost a lot they don't make that much oh that's that was his general viewpoint Um, so yeah what happened the energy just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but I'm going to have to run because of right. the Twilight. What's going to happen with My Week with Marilyn ultimately, Phil? Have you seen that yet? No, I haven't. Um, I think that's going to – there's some potential there. And the Weinstein Company is pushing that pretty hard because they had a disappointing summer. So I think they're really going to get behind that and the artists and try to, you know, eke out as much cash as they can. And, and you know, the, something like My Week with Marilyn I think has a lot of mainstream appeal. So I could see that really kind of, you know, picking up steam as long as it doesn't get, you know, overshadowed by stuff like, you know, the descendants and the artists and everything like that. I think it's, it's, it's absolute essential just the way if you're a movie lover, you have to see the artist. You also have to see My Week of Maryland because it's such a fascinating uh, 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 reanimation of, of Marilyn Monroe's personality, voice, uh, her mystique. Cause she really does capture so much of it. It's really it's a must see as far as I'm concerned. Huh. What, you don't agree? Right. Sasha, you went I haven't off. seen it yet. They they finally invited me to see it. Um, but All right, Phil. Thanks for doing this, man. And we're thanks, off. Yeah, Phil. Thanks again, guys. Talk to you soon. I'll talk Bye. to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.
What about, did, can I get an opinion from you, Sasha, about uh, the uh, 20-year-old Egyptian student who did the nude oh. photo of herself and, <laughs> and uh, a way of assaulting the conservative, repressive nature of the uh, of Egyptian culture? Do you have any feelings about that? Did you read the... Um, I thought it was cool. You know, I thought it was really great that she did that. Um, I, I don't necessarily know that the American eyes will be as appreciative. I mean, it's naked pictures, you know. Who doesn't have naked but pictures? That's a political statement of it, uh, that she's uh, created a thing that she's gotten most of the elements in Egyptian society angry at her, including the liberal elements who are, you know, because they're afraid that some kind of, it's such a, a portrait. What this episode is, is a portrait of how, um, I think, really uh, conservative and, 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 and culturally constipated uh, Egypt and many of the pan-Arabic uh, nations are as mm -hmm. far as sexuality. Women, I mean, they, they are... Uh, it's about objectifying and keeping women in a box. And this yeah, is like that doesn't happen in America. Not at all. Oh, boy. You know, American women can put naked pictures of themselves online. No problem. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the point of her thing, though, is that in the context of it's cause so unheard of for an Egyptian woman to be brazen and and declarative about their sexuality, about who they are, about what the nudity implies or it signifies. Um, it's just completely, just not, forget it. It's, it, it will, it can't, it's never been and probably never will be tolerated in the foreseeable future. So it's really quite a bombshell for that culture here. Uh, <laughs> if, you ha if you're going to be showing yourself naked in some context, it has to mean something. The way, uh, for instance, uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono's uh, Two Virgins album meant something at the time because no pop star had shown himself in that, in that realm, in that way. So that meant something. But if a, a motion picture blogger were to do a nude photo, then it would be okay. What does that mean? Uh, okay, it you know. would be nar it would be considered narcissistic and you know sleazy and disgusting and all of that stuff. It would have to signify something other than um, here's what I look like when I take my clothes off. It's you know it's right. just, it's fine. <laughs> I guess it's it's for her. It's an interesting thing to do. It's a little right. bit shocking. It's. Um, you know, I, I didn't see it the way you did, like as the ultimate act of freedom for a woman. Show, but it is interesting to just show her naked body. Although I did hear that it's actually not true that they're totally covered up. Like the burkas are see-through, and you can see their bodies through the through the burkas when the sun shines on them. Really? Yeah, that's what I heard. I never knew that. Okay. I never knew it either, but it's true. If they're not opaque, they're see-through, and they show. Their I, I blew fact, off my chance last year to, for the first time in my life, visit a Middle Eastern country. I could have gone to Qatar, and I uh, uh, withdrew respectfully withdrew because of the. Uh, well, we've already talked about this, the flying time and everything. But I could have gone. I could have gone. But then again, I I didn't feel that that would have been the real thing because those. Um, kind of um, elite corporate ghettos that they have in the uh, high-end Middle Eastern cities are, are not... I don't know what they are, but I know that, that the corporate world, the corporate ghettos are, are the same the world over. So Yeah. I mean, I, one I thing I did like about it um, is something that I've sort of already discovered on Flickr, which is that um, there is such power to the naked female form that we have so much power. And, you know, and mostly in this country we abuse it it's like madonna you know or britney spears or you know yeah. it's used that way but just a woman standing there naked mm -hmm. that woman that photo you showed it's just such a 
she's so powerful. She has yeah. so much power just in her naked form. It's amazing. And that's uh, something that particularly uh, angers and irates uh, the paternalistic uh, male Egyptian sensibility. I mean, they are... It, it's it's pretty furious from what I gather from the responses that, as described in the various news stories like the one in the New York Times. It's um, it's about power and about the... And I think that's why poor Lara Logan was, was assaulted. I think they wanted to kind of assert their power over a Western reporter yeah. and, and humiliate her. And, you know, um, from what I understand, she wasn't actually raped, which is to say penetrated, but she was humiliated in, in a horrible... Uh, cheap, you know, mob way. And it was, uh, you know, I think it was about them saying, you know, screw you, you know, we're, we're, we're more powerful than you are. Well, sure. I mean, I, did you see, have you seen the documentary Project Nim yet? Still haven't seen it. Oh man, is that good? It's very disturbing. It'll stay with you a while, but, um, little Nim, who's horribly treated by humans and taken away from his mother way too soon. And just in a really disgusting way, he ends up in a lab and, but his his friends, people who who train him over the years, as he has men and women, and with the men he's fine. But put a woman in there with him, and he will always attack her, and you know bite her, and sometimes like one woman he bit her half her face off, and another woman he picked up and swung her around the room and almost killed her. You know, it's like that's sort of a way to. I mean, it's an easy way to dominate women, you know, because their men are stronger. But it's funny to me because it always tells me how much power women really have because their men are so afraid of them. Uh, when I first got Aura, I had a mouse when he was a little kitten, uh, a Siamese. And uh, I brought Aura in uh, because I wanted him to have uh, companionship. No. Uh, and, the, and he spent the first three days pouncing on her and <laughs> kicking her around to make sure that she understood that he was boss. Yeah. And she was whining and crying and leave me alone, leave me alone. And he kept, I said, Mouse, will you stop it, man? Cut mm. it out. And he, and he wouldn't stop beating her up because he wanted to make sure that she understood for the rest of her life that he's boss. Sure. Finally stopped it. But God, it was horrible to listen to that. You know? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense in a way because of the way the, the not to get too weird armchair anthropology on you, but, you know, it, 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 there is a reason for it because it's all about, you know, um, preserving the genetic line and dominating women in order to do that. That's why male primates will, will kill the babies of um, yeah. females oh, yeah. so that they can... So, it, you know, the dominance is really about that underneath it all. Uh, but, 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 yeah, I was, I was interested. I hope she's going to be okay. I hope nobody's going to kill her because of those photos. That. Uh, whenever someone gets in trouble in the Middle Eastern territories, I always say... Move to Paris, because <laughs> that's the thing that yeah. you know, you're you're in the wrong part of the uh, world to be uh, acting like Isadora Duncan or acting like Henry Miller. Or, exactly, you're uh, so right about that move. But I like her powerful statement that she made more power to her. I hope that she's going to be okay. Someone takes her out of there because she probably will get stoned. It's the kind of thing that would get you, if you're going to be punished or or or, or hurt in some way physically. This is the kind of thing that would would uh, prompt it. That's for sure. So yeah. um, I feel uh, worried for her. So. I do too. Worried for worried her. For but so did, can I ask one uh, uh, quick thing, uh, which is um, uh, well, I, I can't ask one quick thing because um, 
I had it. <laughs> my, my focus flips around. <laughs> and I, from one thing to the other, it's like, oh, this is fun. This is like riding a toboggan. And then, Wait, where am I? Am I on a toboggan? Thing. I forgot. <laughs> oh, look, shiny thing. No. <laughs> what? Oh, yes, yes. What did you think of last night's revelation, which came, I don't know if you saw this, but you have been following the Natalie Wood, uh, Robert Wagner thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, last night, a person uh, provided me with a link to a uh, Playboy interview that Chris Walken gave back in 96 yeah. or something. Right. Did you happen to? I did. I read that. You sent me that Chris Woolman had written you about it. I I read that. Yeah. It was interesting. Um, You've got Chris Walken completely disagreeing with both Wagner and uh, uh, Davern, the uh, uh, Dennis Davern, um, about what happened. And it's just so Rashomon, as I was saying. It's like, you know, it's 30 years ago, and boy, people's memories are really not reliable, or they mm-hmm. remember what they want to remember, or they create their own thing, but it's, it completely doesn't square with what the other two guys have said. And uh, people are assuming that Wagner's the guy who might be suspect, and that Davern's, uh, Davern, who's probably in his 70s or something, and feeling badly about holding this ugly secret in his heart, and he wants to um, make a breast of it before he dies. And that's, I guess, is his motive, on top of making money, of course. Right. So. And if he's in AA, you know, that's another thing you do is you make amends. And it might have been that he was such a drinker, heavy drinker back then, that he feels bad about having let his, you know, alcoholic brain take hold. And and he wants to make amends and he wants to fix it. It's just funny because didn't Chris say that the statute of limitations is way, way out? On way, this? way past it, yeah. There's nothing so. that, that can happen. It's just a lot of teasing. So what's it about? It's like we need another celebrity murder to, you know, fill the newspapers or what? I mean. Why would the uh, uh, sheriff's department openly have a press conference and say, we are looking into this again? Okay, well, then the public going to say, so you're going to look into it and what's going to happen? The, the answer is nothing. We can't do anything other than. Uh, you know, like on a, like I said on a Perry Mason show, get Robert Wagner to uh, collapse and confess and start weeping and, and <laughs> you know, telling the truth. He's not going to do that. No. He's not a, you know, uh, whatever did happen, you know, most people will figure after a certain point, you know, let it lay, you know. And, uh, and it, naturally, Natalie Wood's sister doesn't feel that at all. She feels that some kind of horrible wrong probably happened. Yeah. And she wants that closure for herself and and for uh, her Natalie's uh, daughter and others who might have uh, you know and I understand that also but it's just really strange that they would be public about it the sheriff's department yeah it, it's one thing if you want to look into these things and explore you know and and say to the press well you know uh, we're we're uh, not we're mindful of what has been said and we are uh, taking a look at it but uh, for now we're just uh, not going to say anything you know and and let it go with that. But they made they had a press conference. They announced that they're going to be uh, opening it up again. We're going to make trips out and, and visit the yacht in Hawaii. We're going <clears> to <throat> there's nothing to do. You, you know, it's just basically you got to confess, Bob or RJ, or you got to you know, or you're just going to um, stick to your old story. That's all they can do. Yeah, there's no there. I mean, yeah, if they could crack him, there's no evidence that they could find. The only thing that I found chilling about that thing you sent me was that that woman on the nearby boat heard a woman screaming. Yeah, that she was, and a woman, and a man's voice saying, yeah, "Chill out, we'll be there in a second. Don't worry about it." Or, "We will, we hear you, uh, uh, 
you know, somebody conversing with this upset woman. Yeah, that was what was weird to me, because that is like other people in the boat must have heard her. Yeah. And it wasn't just Robert Wagner. I mean, you know, they all must have heard her. So what did they think? And, you know, when she turned up dead, what did they think? Yeah. You know, so I... So the only people who are around right now are that that guy and Christopher Walken and Robert Wagner, right? Everybody yeah. else is dead. Yeah. So forget it. There's no, you know, there's nothing they can do about it. It's interesting to bring it up again. And if it were my sister, I'd probably be still so angry and upset that I'd want, I'd want them to do a better job than they apparently have done. Mm-hmm. And that's the real scandal is, is how badly they botched the case way back when. They let it slide. Whatever they were told, they let it slide. <clears throat> and uh, Wagner and uh, Davern got together. Wagner wanted the same story. He didn't want uh, any uh, bad vibes uh, attached to him. He has a career. He wants to, you know, keep going and, uh, and, and, and keep living and keep making a living. And he didn't want that threatened. Most people don't. So that's yeah. the way, that's the way they, uh, they played it. So there's nothing they can really do unless you say he just cracks. <clears throat> you know, they might be able to crack him if they can get close enough. But I happened to watch, incidentally, I was intrigued by uh, by the announcement that 48 Hours uh, was going to be taking a look at this. The, and I, I just it reminded me what a uh, what a pathetic uh, uh, state of affairs that that a film that a show like 48 hours which is supposed to uh, be an investigative show and kind of but it's very it's pure tabloid and it just sort of throws a lot of headlines at you and it uh, they were done with it within 15 17 minutes something like that well, uh, they had two other fo- stories that they were focusing on which was the old uh, uh, Cheryl Crane uh, Lana Turner uh, John yeah. stop auto murder you uh-huh. know yeah Right. And I'm amazed that they still are, you know, they felt, you know, people are not going to be able and they're going to, their minds are going to wander and it's going to, the ADD is going to kick in and they're going to turn to another station if we don't shorten our coverage of the Natalie Wood thing, which could easily occupy an hour's worth of uh, discussion and, uh, you know, evaluating the, if you go on the, on the site of 48 Hours, you can see that they've got quite a lot of, of, of separate interviews that they did not fit into the TV show, but they just felt they, they, they figured it would probably not, not work for them and they would lose the, their audience and it would, they would go somewhere else because the audience likes to be continually stimulated and, and, uh, and constantly going, you know, wow, oh, that's interesting. Wow, look at that. But if it involves any kind of in-depth, uh, you know, consideration of facts, you know, as a good documentary would, there goes the audience. And it's yeah. just it's pathetic. Well, I would love to see Frontline do it. Frontline's the only one that I would trust to do an expose. You know, they could really delve into all of the things about it, the media coverage, the, you know, the, the way that they handled it in the past. And they don't have the same kind of audience that 48 Hours has. Although I will admit I've watched a few 48 Hours episodes. I watched it for the um, Amanda Knox stuff, you know. And, and what they do is they just draw it out and they draw it out and they draw it out and then they end it with a mystery you know, mm. did Robert Wagner really kill Natalie Wood uh-huh. at the end? Because they can't come to any conclusion. There is no conclusion. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's going to be interesting to see the way the public attaches to it. Like, will they get all involved the way they did with the Michael Jackson case? And the, you know, mm. um, mm. that's just crazy. 
But, you know, next week we should tell our listeners we're, we're going to actually do an Oscar. We should do an Oscar podcast, like really go through all the categories and stuff and see where we're standing because we're just about to head into um, next week the New York film critics vote. But they're on not voting. They're not voting till after they see the Dragon Tattoo on the 28th. They were going to announce on the 28th, and now they're announcing on the 29th, right? That's Tuesday. That's right. That's right. That's a week from this Tuesday. So that's really when everything starts. It's when all the shit goes down. <laughs> so. I will not have seen, nor will you have seen War Horse until the 28th. So do you want to change our thing and say we're not going to record on Sunday, but let's do it on Tuesday? Uh, sure. Sure. You mean to, to talk about War Horse? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's coming right up, huh? Jeez. Yeah. Okay. And also, we will have seen by that time, uh, we're going to see the uh, uh, Iron Lady, and there's going to be... Uh, and extremely loud will be the following week. Uh, I would yeah. like I was told on the fifth, which would be Monday, December fifth. So that yeah. would be. Um, so that you know, it's all going to start to uh, come together within the next two weeks. And they're screening Dragon Tattoo right now to DGA members, so that's coming next too. All three of those movies are right out. now as we speak. They've already screened it to some DGA members. Yeah. Well, can we stop here? Because I'm I'm having a disconnect. Yeah, yeah. Let's stop. Okay. What? No, no, no. Not stop recording. I'm saying, can we stop? What What are we talking about here? I I thought that they told John Anderson that we can't show it to you guys until it's completed on the 28th. And you're saying that Dragon Tattoo has been shown. To that's DJ. what That's what um Harry Knowles said on Twitter, that they've shown it to directors. That and then and then Phil or somebody on Twitter also said that they've screened it for. Oh no, it was. Chris's friend. They said they've already screened it for DGA members. Dragon Tattoo. So, what does that mean, DGA members? They mean that the membership of the DGA and a somewhat Probably. sized audience was shown this film. I'm not sure. You have to ask them. I'll. It's Brian Duffield is the guy who said it about the DGA screenings, and then of course you know Harry Knowles. Yeah. So, both of them have said that it's screened for for directors. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine if it was a big group of DGA members that you would have heard from somebody. Yeah, I would have heard about it, yeah. So one of your friends would have written you in. Um, but whoever's seen it has just been very quiet about it. So maybe they saw like an unfinished version and then now they're finishing it for the for the screening on the 28th. Um, all directors are very exacting and they really don't care for anybody to see something that isn't done, done, really done. Just as I... I've written something, and I feel that I've uh, I put it up, and I found uh, four typos, and I reshaped a paragraph in the in the end. I don't like the idea of someone seeing that earlier version. I want those typos uh, corrected. Yeah, me that too. last paragraph to be shaped just so, because that's what I really intended to, you know. So that's uh, that's completely understandable. So. Yeah, and that's why I think Hugo played better when it was screened here than it did when it was screened in. Um the New York Film Festival because it wasn't quite finished. Even the version we saw wasn't completely finished. There yeah. were still some effect shots that needed to be done. So I do think that, um, sorry for my cold, I do think that uh, uh, it makes a huge difference when you show it to people and you don't want the bad word out there early. I don't think showing Hugo to the New York Film Festival was a good idea at all. I think they should have waited. 
Well, they wanted to make some kind of um, <clears throat> early splash. and Yeah, but it didn't quite go over as well as it could have. And now it's a bit late in the game to start the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Would have been better maybe to build up. But I, I'm liking the reviews so far, and I have a feeling it's going to come in as the most, the best reviewed film of the year, is my prediction. But we'll see. What is that artist thing? Uh, I was invited to that also. I'm just not recalling. Has that already happened? Is that on Monday? It's Monday is... night. Monday night at the Academy, yeah. And they're having a Hugo screening that night, too, which I really yeah. wanted to go to. But I'm going to go to the artist to bring Emma to it to see what she thinks. Uh, well, I got to tell you, having, again, uh, having seen it for the second time in Savannah, uh, I'd love to to uh, listen to the director and the actress uh, uh, um, talk about it, and um, uh, you know, and and I love the ideas, as you said, of seeing anything at the Academy. But yeah, just especially something that plays all that well upon repeated viewings. That's for sure. Right. Well, I'd like to see it on that big screen too, and see how it plays with that crowd. I want to hear that crowd react to it, you know, even though it's not a trustworthy crowd necessarily because it's, you know, um, when they bring out the stars or whatever, they, they tend to have a different sort of reaction like they did with Clooney for the descendants. But, um, nonetheless, I'm anxious to see that movie on the big screen to see what it looks like. It looked beautiful in Cannes, you know, haven't seen it since, but the Savannah theaters weren't all that great, you know, so yeah. If I know I were, and those those wonderful glistening light levels at the academy there's nothing uh, like that. Yeah. And the sound. Like a, I mean it feels like people are right next to you talking in your ear. Yeah. I've just never experienced movie watching like I do there. It's the yeah. ideal set place to see. So if a movie doesn't look good there, it's not going to look good anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so And and you know, which reminds us uh, we have to say time and again that the quality of presentation that, that you and I and others who are in our beat and our racket uh, can see and, and often do see uh, is just is not uh, duplicated in, uh, in commercial theaters with the exceptions of the Arclight in Los Angeles and um, certain theaters uh, in Manhattan. Not many, but a few. Yeah. And it's just something you're not going to, you know, like for instance, if you're at the, uh, at the, uh, the, the theater in Tremont, uh, in Boston, that everybody talks about. It's, uh, it's an AMC, I think, and it's uh, notoriously uh, bad for light levels and uh, complaints. I, I personally witnessed it a couple of times. So there, there's, a, there's an issue of, of quality presentation and, and, and that feeling that, that, we, that you and I know that when something is being shown to its maximum uh, appeal and, and, and you know, it's never going to look as good as that. People do not generally even know what that is because they just uh, are not there are not enough theaters that invest in the quality of presentation that that you and I are able to sample right right and um uh, and the uh like there's nothing like and no movie theater that I've ever seen can touch the academy not not even the best at the arc light is as good as the academy theater I wish what? everybody could see movies there Steve Ross at the uh, you know, on the Warner lot. I think that the uh, uh, yeah, that's you know. pretty good. That's pretty. That comes a close second. But the Academy, they rake the seats just the right way. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, the, if you're in the front, you're not scooched down low. You're still raked. Right. Right. You know, and the seats are so comfortable, and there is not a bad seat in the house in the Academy. You know, other theaters like you can sit on the side and forget it, like the Chinese. Yeah, but yeah. at the academy, even if you're way over on the side, you still got a great view of the screen. 
All right. So let's. Uh, so we'll be talking again, not seven days from now, but nine days from now on Tuesday. Yes. Oh my after God. After the New York Film Critics, I just arranged. We'll do it sometime right around uh, their announcement. Will probably come out sometime by I, I guess in the vicinity of noon our time. So uh, okay. we can go Sounds from there. Great. All right. We'll have a nice Sunday. Yes. You too. Okay. Talk to you soon. Oh. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at OscarPodcast, and the bumper music was Let My Love Open the Door by Pete Townsend, and The Future by The Drums. Thanks for listening.